Thank you for downloading Season 6, Episode 4 of Baseball Pitching the Fix. I am your host, Joe Janish, and with me as always is baseball pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. And today's show, we have a one very interesting topic. There's something called the yips, and I think you may have heard of it if you've been in baseball for at least five minutes. That's what we are going to cover in MLB News. And then in our teaching moment, we will continue to talk about the yips as Angel explains a little bit about it and how it relates to the wrist, hand, and fingers. And then in our final segment, the pearls, well, that's always a surprise and Angel won't tell me what it's all about. So we'll discover and learn about it together. So in the meantime, I want to welcome Angel to the show. Angel, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, every few years, there's a there's a baseball player at some point and somewhere who has this thing called the yips. It's a, it's a throwing issue. It, it for, I think one of the first people who was described as having something like this a, a throwing condition where he he couldn't control the ball was Steve Blass, a pitcher from the 1960s and 1970s. Steve Blass was a very good pitcher for a long time. And then all of a sudden he just couldn't throw strikes just out of the blue, just couldn't throw strikes. And I don't know if they actually called it the yips back then, but he was the first, one of the first people that I can, I can recall in history that had this issue. And then later on, Steve Sachs was an all-star second baseman for the Dodgers and, and later the Yankees. And he had an issue with throwing to first base, which ironically, same thing happened to Yankee second baseman Chuck Noblock to the point where, where Noblock was sent out to left field because he could no longer throw from second base to first base. He couldn't make those simple throws. And, and it's affected, you know, other position players, catchers throwing back to the pitcher, like Mackie Sasser with the Mets was one of the famous ones who couldn't throw back to the pitcher. And then, of course, there was Rick Ankeel, one of the most extraordinary athletes MLB has seen, a, a pitcher who could throw 97 miles an hour left-handed as a you know 20-year-old, I think, and, and then suddenly pitching against the Mets and the NLCS one year. I just couldn't throw a strike. It was like watching, uh, watching one of those baseball movies where, where the, he hit the ball. Like, what happened? <laughs> So anyway, the the yips have come up again. There's there's at least one position player in the major leagues who's having some trouble throwing the ball, and there's also a pitcher who throws about 99 miles an hour who can't seem to throw strikes all of a sudden. So the yips have come up again, and that's why I I thought you know what it, it happens to pitchers, it happens to position players. Generally speaking, people talk about it as a mental thing, but I thought why don't we talk to Angel about this? Maybe it isn't all mental. Maybe there's something physical about it and maybe Angel can talk about it. So Angel, what's your take on the whole yips situation? Well, first I want to tell everybody how important this program is to me and how personal it is to me only because it represents the reason why I got into this work to begin with. When I was a strength coach specializing with pitchers, I was dedicated to saving them from improper training methods. When I got my master's and started doing analysis, I was devoted to trying to help them understand their motion 
and also to help them save their jobs. So anything related to saving a kid's dreams or to helping a man save his job is so personal to me. And it's why I'm so passionate about my work. Now, baseball pitching found me. I did not go looking for it. And that was as a strength coach. And so did the analysis part. And what was interesting about the yips and why I got into really looking at it is I was attending an ASMI conference and it was probably, oh, it could have been at least seven or eight years ago. And the audience brought up to the panel about the yips and they're all, these experts were talking about, well, it's, you know, mental and it's anxiety and they were going on and on. Now, most of you, I don't know if you know this, but I was actually working on my master's in sports psychology and I was probably six months away from getting it. And I after a class where they were talking about problems with athletes who can't perform and they're doing imagery and all this, I just said, this is BS. If a guy who's good all of a sudden can't perform, I would rather be working on the end of giving him hope with his motion or his body and not with sitting him in an office dealing with it in an abstract way. And that's when I knew that I had a different calling. So I'm sitting in this ASMI conference and I'm hearing this and they're talking about the yips on this level of being abstract. Now, baseball is a traditional sport and I don't blame baseball at all for this. I mean, 10 years ago or not in 95, when I started strength training pitchers, they didn't even know then that pitchers could train. So I don't blame baseball for, for not always knowing. I mean, if we told people 20 years ago, Joe, Hey, you're going to be looking at spin rate and exit velocity and dealing with scientists and statisticians, people would, baseball would never have thought that was going to happen. So I think there's always room for improvement. But in that moment of listening to that, I said, this is ridiculous. I said, I need to do some research. This was prior to my writing my elbow book, which of course includes the fingers and wrist. And I said, I'm determined to look at this. This sounds ridiculous. And they, of course, were doing like you did, Joe, which was mentioned guys that have lost there. And this was just an informal discussion. And I remember standing up and saying something. But anyway... I leave that conference just for a minute to take a break, walk out into the hall, and I've got a message. And believe it or not, there's a call from a father whose son was pitching in a D1 university, and he had come up with the yips. And he said, is there any way that you think you could help? I took that as a sign from above. I worked with the kid. We totally fixed it. I never dealt with it as emotional. I dealt with it as it was physical because in my belief, the body is always the first thing you go to. You don't jump to something that's abstract. You deal with something that you can touch and feel. That's just my approach with the work I do. And then believe it or not, in the next three, four years, Joe, I had gotten probably I think I've worked with five total guys that had what people would say the yips. And then I've worked with other versions of it because there's many versions of it. And I will be talking about that in a minute. So anyway, that's my passion about this. And what bothers me is that what concerns me and this show is about opening up your mind first and then listening to the information second and then me sharing with you some ways to look at it and look at your players that might be showing problems with it or the onset of it 
and that we do all we can to keep it into the realm of possibility of fixing and dealing with it like it is physical, to try to get away from the notion that it is abstract. Now, just for fun, I looked up yips online to see how are they defining it. Does anybody say it's a possible disorder or there's a possible micro tear in the ligaments or the muscles of the fingers and wrist that control acceleration and ball release? Because if you think about it, everyone, ball release We know that when a pitcher who's normal is having some problems with hitting his spots, the first thing you brainiac pitching coaches do is you go look at, well, where's your thumb? Where's your finger? You look at those details. You look at the details of the pitch selection and the way the fingers are and the way he's rotating, and you create success by dealing with that. If you look at ball release in a healthy way, then when you have a disorder of ball release, You have to look at it as a ball release issue. It's the opposite of location. It's just an extreme opposite. So the deal is I look it up and can you believe it, Joe? Online, the diagnosis, it's a a disorder, anxiety. They recommend Botox as as a solution. They recommend mental imagery. I'm like, oh my gosh, because I think that There hasn't been enough work done on the physical level, but it is so labeled that it's mental. And everyone, I want to say right now, we have sort of a guest star to talk about this and almost, I don't want to use the word prove, but to verify what I'm saying. And it happens to be Joe who, and this is the truth, when I told him the other day that I had read a a headline about a position player that was having trouble with his throwing and his hitting, which to me is like, duh, yes, something's going on physical because it's both. That's finger stuff to me, fingers or wrist. Joe mentions to me that he suffered from it as a catcher during the end of his career. But the other thing is, and and most of you don't know this, Joe had some finger surgery a few months ago, which I've known about. I did not know the story. He went from having, and tell me if I'm correct, Joe. Sure. The yips as the end of his career as a catcher, then for the next 20 years, suffered with weird pain using the mouse. And everyone picture this, the grip on the mouse, similar to the grip on the ball, ends up getting fed up with this problem goes to the doctor and ends up with surgery on the joint that happens to be one of the, well, all the joints of the fingers are important, but it's actually the knuckle joint, what most lay people call the knuckle, of his index finger. And the ligament was sprained, and then it ended up being torn, and he ended up having surgery on it. Now, this is not a coincidence that he went from catching to this, to that. So this is why, and that was a surprise to me the other day. Again, that was like getting the phone call in the conference telling me that I'm on to something here and that I want to open the eyes and give hope to all of you guys out there that might be suffering from it. 
that there is hope and there is a way to look at it. And if we can start looking at the problem, maybe we can start preventing it. So Joe, am I telling my, the story about you correctly? Yeah. Do you want me to fill the listeners in now on how, how it all came about? Yeah. Why don't you do that? Because then we're going to go into some of the specifics about, yeah, because everyone listened to this, this story is amazing because it connects the physical with at that time. And Joe, I am assuming at that time, baseball really thought it was mental. Oh, absolutely. I mean, nobody ever pulled you aside and sent you to the trainer or to anyone to look at your fingers. They, they dealt with it as a sport issue. Right. And really, I mean, a big part of that is that for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a constant thing. It was more of a just certain situation type of thing. And at the time, so right. we're going back about 20, maybe closer to 25 years. <laughs> so people know how old I am now. I played at I was a catcher at a fairly high level. I played division one baseball at St. Peter's university. And after my career in college, things didn't work out with some pro tryouts or whatever. So I, I played many years in semi-pro ball. And there was a point toward the end of my semi-pro career where I had some issues throwing the ball. If, if it was like a, a bunt and I'd go gather the ball up and, and throw it at first base, I would, I would spike it right into the ground. And you know, and it was only like a 30 foot throw, but I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't make that throw, but that didn't happen very often in semi-pro where I'd have to worry about, you know, shoveling up the ball on a bunt and throwing to first base. But the other thing too, was I noticed I had trouble playing catch before the game. So like before the game, you know, you usually just pick up a ball and find a partner and throw the ball, maybe, you know, 40 to 50 feet away from each other. I started having issues throwing, just playing simple catch. I couldn't, I couldn't have simple catch. I, I had to like throw the ball as hard as I could. Otherwise I had no control over, over the ball. I, I had, I had no problem throwing down to second base. The 120 foot throw was, was very easy for me. It always was. I generally had no problems throwing back to the pitcher, but it was just the, the really short distance throws where I would play. So, so it turned out like before games, nobody wanted to play catch with me because they'd wind up spending more time chasing the ball after I threw it over their head or, or, you know, on the ground or whatever, it was really stressful just having playing catch. So I kind of cut short my, my playing catch before the game. And I would just hope that no one would bunt and I wouldn't have to throw to first base on, I'll make a 40 foot throw. And again, like at this point, it wasn't like I had any pain or anything that I noticed. And then after my, after my semi-pro career, I started working, uh, and, I was usually at a desk working on a computer and spending long hours at the computer. And, and I realized when I was using the mouse a lot, I would get a really bad pain in my, in my finger and in my, in my index finger, which was the button, you know, I was always pressing the button on the mouse and it would go up to my wrist and sometimes into my arm. And I, I just assumed it was something like carpal tunnel. So I, I changed the mouse. I, I used a different kind of mouse for a while and that worked for a while. But then again, like pressing the button would be an issue even with some of these different mouses or the uh, trackballs. So I eventually just switched over to using my left hand because being who I am and being a stubborn guy who plays baseball, I didn't go to the doctor for something like this. I just assumed I self-diagnosed it being a, a carpal tunnel. And I figured if I just didn't use my hand for a while, it would go away. So I actually switched to using my left hand. And every once in a while, like I, I got very good at using my left hand with the mouse. And every once in a while, like I would just switch over to my right hand and 
after like a day or two, I'd start getting the pain again. So I'd be like, all right, I'll just use my left hand. And then I just kind of like, you know, again, being the, the stubborn, silly person I am, I never went to a doctor. Well, fast forward about 20 years, and it was about a year ago now, I decided I was going to try and use my right hand again because I'm like, this is crazy. I'm a right-handed person. I'm going to use my right hand with the mouse. And it took only one week, and I had tremendous pain in my finger, tremendous pain in my wrist, going up into my arm. And I said, all right, I, I got it. You know, I'm, I'm being really ridiculous now. Let me go to a doctor and find out what's going on. And I went to the doctor and said, yeah, I think I have carpal tunnel or something. Could we just check it out and see what needs to be done? And he takes an x-ray and he says, Joe, you don't, you don't have carpal tunnel <laughs> syndrome. You have a torn ligament in your finger. I said, what? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, did you do anything recently that would have caused the, you know, you, you to tear your, your ligament in your finger? I'm like, no, I haven't done anything that would have done something like that in like 15 or 20 years when I was playing baseball. And he said, well, it does look like something that probably would have been an athletic injury and something that probably would have happened a long time ago. And he said, well, how long have you been having this issue? And I said, oh, about 20 years. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he said, you have a torn ligament in your, in your index finger and, you know, you could try resting it, but it's not going to get better and you need surgery. So I scheduled the surgery and uh, I'm now about five or six months on the mend. Uh, it's still going to take a while, but mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes. I'm not throwing a baseball yet. I haven't thrown a baseball in a while, but um, that's pretty much the story. It's just, you know, I, di I didn't f really feel any pain. I, I don't even remember when I got the injury, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that I, I don't remember too much about it being something that was very painful. It was just something where my finger just, I could move my index finger almost past my pinky. And I, I didn't realize that was abnormal. Yes. Well, so everyone, the uh, injury that Joe actually had was on the index finger and it was actually at the knuckle, uh, the knuckle level. So if everyone just looks at their finger and just make a fist, I think everyone knows where the knuckles are at. And I'll continue to call it a knuckle, but it's an MP joint. There's long, listen, this is the most complicated topic I'm ever teaching on. And I am I have to break things down so that I understand it, and it's the way I'm going to teach it. But for all the scientists out there and people who have medical backgrounds, I am aware that I'm not going to be using all the technical terms, but my point is to teach people who don't have a background to be able to understand. So for now, we're going to call this the knuckles. The knuckle of the of the index finger is where Joe had his injury, and, it, and because he wasn't a pitcher and he was a catcher, he probably wasn't doing the way that the ball is handled in the hand by a pitcher, which starts when the arm, the shoulder is in max external rotation. And I think all of you know what that is by now. And you know, I have photos up on my YouTube channel that show that. But when the pitcher is in max external rotation, that is when for a pitcher, the, the hand and fingers become really, really involved because it has to hold on to the ball. If you're picking up the ball from the ground and throwing it to a first baseman, you would get that metacarpal joint, that knuckle joint working immediately because it's a major player in when the ball is released by anybody. So, Joe, that was the first sign was, and everyone, I want you to understand this, there's a few different types of yips that you'll see. So first of all, I've had guys that have no problem pitching, but they look ridiculous throwing short distance. The ball goes down into the ground. It can't, they can't control it over the head of the catcher. And then I say, what's going on? They say, oh, I can't throw a short distance. And they kind of accept it. 
And then they hurry up and try to get to a further distance. Well, that's a sign that something is wrong. That's one type of onset of yips, and it may stay that way. It may not, but there's something wrong. The other type of yips that I've seen is that's where the ball can go the distance, but it goes way up out of the fingertips. And I remember way back before I worked in baseball, I used to watch the Yankees game. So I don't know. I'm thinking this might have been a Yankees pitcher. Actually, I'm not thinking it was. But I remember a pitcher and the ball was flying over the on his arm side. He was a righty was flying over the head of the catcher and into the bleachers. And I remember the uh, announcers. And it's so funny because here I am doing this work. And there was something about that game that made me just wonder. And I was already studying psych. My bachelor's was in psychology as I said, I was mastering in sports psychology. So I'm like thinking about this, but I remember noticing this. That's why it's, I can still see the ball. And I remember the announcer saying, oh no, oh, this poor guy. Oh, oh no, no, no. Oh, it went way up into the bleachers. I mean, it looked insane. It's like a ball out of control, a ball with a life of its own. And that's another type where it rolls out of the fingers. And that's a specific reason why the ball does that. And then there's the type that actually, when I read this article and I watched the video, it's, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's like you pick up a ball, just pretend you're picking up a baseball and you decide you're going to throw it as hard down into the ground as you can about two feet in front of you. That's how, that's how that type of yips works. And so there's different forms of it. And this not being able to throw, throw short distance, Joe, probably what happened is that you went from a sprain. Remember, everyone, when you hear the word the word sprain with a P, that's a ligament. When you hear the word strain, it's a muscle. Uh, it's a tendon. You probably had a sprain in that ligament. So that finger that was controlling part of the release of the ball off your hand was overstretched. Remember, everyone, the ligaments keep the bones, they connect the bone to bone. And you have these, if you look at your hand and you look at your finger, you have three little bones there. Then you've got the knuckle and then you've got there's straight bones, we could say, in the palm of the hand. And then right along that line that leads up to the thumb, there's tons of little tiny bones. That's why our hands can do so many things and we can grab onto things. If you have one ligament that's overstretched, it compromises the entire hand, not to mention the wrist. And remember, everyone, the wrist is the major player that adds velocity to the ball. And also it's going to direct the rest of the hand. So Joe, you, this is why I love this story and I wanted everyone to hear it here. We've got an undiagnosed problem. It had minor symptoms and then it went on into being this thing where, and by the way, I don't know if you were clear on this. It only hurt when he was using the mouse, which is the same position. So, so here's what we know. We know that there are disorders that occur from when you are using a reactive type of force repeatedly to the fingers and hands. And when we say reactive force, what we mean is that the fingers and the muscles of that part of the body, and now we're talking about the fingers and the hand, are going through not just the normal contraction phase where we 
you, like th- everyone think of a bicep curl. I pr- pretty much think everyone knows that. You know, you lift the weight up. That's a contraction. You lower it slowly. That's another type of contraction. If you raise it up slow and then you drop it down real fast, that's a different type of contraction. The wrist and the, the finger muscles go through a reaction where they do one thing, the other, and then they return to the other thing. It's like a three cycle sort of thing. It's like a bouncing reflex. And because that happens at the release of the ball, think about it. It's, it's easy over time to stretch it. And you'd already gone through being a catcher your whole life. You're already in an advanced position. And so here you are with an overstretched ligament, and then you take it to this position. When you're on the mouse, you've got the fingers spread out, but you're not, you're doing it for a long amount of time. So your injury, Joe, makes so much sense to me. And it is connected to what happened when you were catching. So everyone, I want you to take that story and understand and maybe believe there is a connection and it's physical. And I think what happens because of the way baseball is dealt with it, not just baseball, but everyone, when we can't explain something, we try, we always think it's mental. But I want all of you to understand this. And I know this from working with these pitchers one-on-one with this situation. Think of your own life. It's like you go to the doctor with something that is wrong and the doctor tells you nothing's wrong. And there are many things that used to be called, oh, well, you're just depressed or, oh, you're just, you know, you need rest. And now we know they're actual diagnosed problems. It's, uh, this is, the YIPS is like the bipolar or depression diagnosis of throwing. It's like the diagnosis. No one wants to, they're afraid of it. They, you hide it. And when players start to have it, because there's no place that's ever been talked about, they themselves think that it is emotional and that they're anxious. Most of the time, the first symptoms of it, they don't talk about, but they become completely freaked out. And when you're freaked out doing anything physically, it starts to interfere with normal motor patterns. It's just like The way you can tell you've got a pitcher on your hands or someone who doesn't belong on the mound is if he gets stressed the second someone's on the mound, you'll see him start moving differently. It's because he's nervous. That's why you see great pitchers. They don't get nervous because nervousness interferes with smooth motor control. So here you've got a guy who, oh, no, what's happening? The ball's hitting the ground. He's not telling anyone. He's trying to fix it himself, and everything's going on in his head. Now we've got the complicated problem. So what I want everyone to start to get is that, yes, it can appear mental and emotional, but you're probably tuning into the problem once he's already done a job on his own brain and his own emotions. But the etiology of the problem needs to be dealt with as it's physical first, and it needs to be handled immediately. So does that make sense to you, Joe? And would you have not loved the ability to be free to, first of all, did you mention it to anyone or did you do exactly what I just said? You held it in, you tried to fix it and you started wondering and worrying about it. I just, I mean, I was at a point in my career in life that I it didn't matter whether I, you know, mentioned it to anybody. It was just, people were annoyed with me because I couldn't play catch uh-huh, with them. You exactly. Know? And I, I just thought it was, yes. you know, at the time, you know, we knew about Steve Sachs syndrome, which was what it was called when, mm-hmm. when Steve Sachs was having the issue with the Yankees. And and what you're talking about is, you know, both with, with Sachs, 
the immediate assumption was that, oh, he went from, you know, uh, he, he became like a star player and, and, you know, the pressure got to him or, or mm-hmm. Chuck Knobloch went from Minnesota, which was a small town to New York City and all the pressure of New York City caused the issue of him throwing because they compared him to Steve Sachs. And same thing with Rick Ankiel. He was a young, I think he was 20 or 21. He might've even been 19 when he pitched against the Mets in and the playoffs. And they said, oh, you know, the pressure got to him. Yes. But you're suggesting that they may also have some kind of a physical issue, but. No, absolutely. Well, it needs to be approached automatically from that viewpoint. And once we start looking at it that way, when the first onset of a problem occurs, the player will be able to go to somebody just like he says, "Uh uh-oh, my inside of my elbow is hurting or this is hurting. So it absolutely, so the take-home message from this first segment is to open your mind to that it is not emotional and physical, that it is definitely treatable, that we want to start looking at it differently. We want to diagnose it early, but we also want to understand that we're coming from a history of where it's not acceptable, it's not okay, and that when you look at the player and you can see that he is in mental distress, understand that that's a normal reaction to when something is happening with your body where you have no control over it, you don't understand why it's happening, and there's no one out there that is really thinking ahead for you, saying, no, it's not in your head, it's not mental, it's physical, let's take it on. So that's why this is difficult, because if you look at these guys and you talk to them, they are going to be in that zone of where, you know, what's happening to me, and they just think they're failing. And I'm suggesting that we start to relabel it and look at it in a different way. And what I want to do in the teaching moment, which I like to move to, is I want to talk about let's let's get down to it. What actually happens with the hand, why this can happen, what you need to look at. I'm going to give you some ways to diagnose it and solutions. And and I just want to get uh, right into into that. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, let's go run right into it. Okay. Okay. So first of all, If you own my elbow book, I'm going to want you to turn to page 14 and you're going to see and or go to my Angel Braille pitching on YouTube. We're going to have a photo up and it's a photo that was provided for me for my book from ASMI. And the reason why I have these photos up is uh, because they really elicit or elucidate the way the ball is in the hand and the way it ends up coming out of the hand. They're great photos, even though the purpose of these photos were for other reasons. It just happened to show the hand. So there are three things that the ball does, and I'm going to be talking about pitching, but for especially the team that has a great player who is having problems with this, but also the fact he's having hitting problems. When you have an injury in your hand and you're holding an implement the size of a bat and you have an injury in the finger that maybe is undiagnosed, You want to carefully look at the grip on the bat and also watch that grip as it goes through the swing. You're going to have to use cameras because if you have an injury, it's going to change the way you're holding whatever you're holding. You're not going to apply enough force 
and that lack of force on a moving object that you have to actually put into the object, whether it's a ball or a bat, is going to change and it will cause a lack of success of performance. So this guy here, that's why when I read hitting and throwing, I'm like, what? Of course, he's got an injury. Something's going on. It could be so micro and it could be just overstretchedness, but there's ways to figure this out. But you got to at least be thinking this way. And, you know, there's a lot of you geniuses on all these teams. If I give you just a little bit of information, maybe you can mix that with what you already know and, you know, save these guys from losing their job. And that's what I'm hoping happens from this episode. So page 14 in the book, if you have it, or go to my YouTube channel. So here's what happens on the picture. So when the arm is in full external rotation, and everyone can picture some of the great pitchers where their forearm is laying back and it's parallel to the ground, the ball is in the hand at that place. That ball holding position is the first place that the hand and fingers have to apply pressure to the ball. And they have to apply it in a certain way because as they're moving forward into acceleration, if they don't have the right grip on that ball in that position, then the ball is going to be too loose as it starts to roll. So let's talk about the three things that happen. You'll see in the first photo at the top, you'll see the ball is in the hand. We're going to call that the ball holding position, okay? He's holding the ball. The second thing that happens as he accelerates is the ball begins to roll up to the fingertips. And by the way, the thumb is the first finger that loses its positioning on the ball. It's the shortest. It rolls up to the fingertips. And you'll see in the bottom photo that the ball is actually on the fingertips. So obviously, if you look at the top photo, you'll see that the ball is held closer to the wrist. And of course, it's at the fingertips. So we know it moves from a handheld position up to the fingertips. It rolls its way up. And when that happens, the first two joints that are working when the ball rolls up are those little knuckles you see in the fingers. Then as the ball is abruptly going to go from the acceleration to the release, then you bring in that knuckle joint. So the knuckle joint then and the two joints in the fingers, then abruptly, very abruptly, let's go of that control of the ball that it had while the ball was moving forward. So we've got the balls being held in the hand. It moves into acceleration. The fingers start to allow the ball to roll up. And just as it's up at the right place, the wrist and that big knuckle joint, along with the finger joints, releases the ball. The fingers now are doing a very reactive type of contraction. That's all you need to know. They become, they do something that we don't see in most activities where you go through a double cycle of contraction and then the ball is gone. If you have someone who's releasing the ball out of the tips and it's moving upward. And it's like the first, the guy we talked about, Joe, where I said it was going over the catcher's, the catcher's head. 
That guy was releasing the force he needed to have on the ball. And by the way, everyone, I think you already know this. When I'm talking, I'm not making this up. I read research. Researchers are always looking at how things are happening. My job is to connect how it affects performance and how things work on emotion level. So what I read, and, and, and the only ones that have really looked at things like this are biomechanists, they're geniuses. And I'll tell you, the research is, I mean, you can't sleep. I can't sleep when I'm studying this kind of topic because it's probably one of the most complicated things. But this is science. They've looked at it. They've looked at it when a pitcher was just sitting and then they looked at it what, when a pitcher is actually really throwing. So the forces are really there. So we're holding on to the ball. If that force in the ball, and by the way, they quantify forces. And of course, in physics and in biomechanics, they talk in Newtons, which uh, I don't think we all run around with Newtons. So of course, I being normal like you, I break everything down. The hand has to exert about 45 pounds of pressure on the ball when it's behind the pitcher's head to make sure he doesn't lose his grip and have the ball roll. Remember, it's holding the ball. Then as it comes forward, it rolls up and then it releases. So we've got a holding, a rolling, and a release. The ball rolls up too soon on the guy who loses pressure with his hand behind when his hand is behind the head. So this is happening early in acceleration. It rolls up into the fingertips. They can't do what they do. And the ball ends up leaving the fingertips and ending up over the head of the catcher. This also, by the way, guys, in the healthy pitcher is what happens when they start to get tired. Or when you have a pitcher who can't locate and keep the ball down, It usually, you can take this, this is what they look at with the forces, but you can take this to the bank when it comes to all levels of pitching, like the kid who's healthy, but he can't locate. He, you know, the kid who isn't gripping the ball hard enough in that part of the motion, the kid who maybe is getting the yips and it's going up into the bleachers. But you see this kind of information that we get from science is so awesome to be able to apply. So is it the reason all the time? Probably not. Is it something worth investigating? Absolutely. But you always start with things that we know, then we extrapolate. So we've got the pressure on the hand, then we've got the fingers doing their job so that the uh, ball stays downward. And so we've got those three phases. And we've also, we also know that if there is any problem with any part of the release, that we need to look at the fingers and the wrist because it's what we do. It's what you pitching coaches have been doing all the time. So I want everyone to start thinking of the, the yips as being a disorder of ball release. Okay. It's an incorrect type of ball release and the things that make you release correctly. So the spin is there correctly. In fact, everyone's looking at spin rate right now. The spin rate is created by the fingers. So if you've got somebody who isn't doing that correctly, meaning the ball isn't spinning correctly, it's not projecting itself correctly, it's not insane to think it has to do with the fingers. So I think that people aren't connecting the dots between what we know about pitching and good pitches and how we create different pitches and 
when we see a disorder like this, just going right to, oh, well, it's got to be in the hand. It's got to be in the fingers. And there's many reported injuries to the hand and finger that started with the the thrower knowing he couldn't throw the ball. In fact, one of the clients that came to me, Joe, I saw that his finger wasn't hanging on to the ball correctly. I could see it lifting off the ball. He didn't know it was lifting off the ball. I, I could see him rele- releasing pressure at the moment of ball release. He was one of the guys who the ball went straight down into the ground. I could actually, with my camera, which isn't as really detailed as some of the biomechanist cameras, but I could see that something was wrong with that. I sent him to the doctor. He ended up with a cast. This was on his middle finger. He ended up on a cast. He had a ligament sprain, which is a different finger than yours, but still both the fingers are important. So Everyone, that is why we need to look at this through the fingers. Now, here's what, so before I go on, I want to talk about some solutions here and some ways of diagnosing. Uh, Joe, did this come clear to you? It did. And, and I, I just want to point out again, in case people didn't hear it before, you know, as a catcher, my fingers on both of my hands were always getting banged up and stretched out and whatever. But at the time when I had this throwing issue, I didn't feel any pain. I just want to make sure people know that I, there was no pain involved. So if you if you feel like there's, you know, y- your yips condition isn't, this isn't a physical thing for you because you're not feeling pain. I'm, I'm telling you that I, I did not feel pain throwing a baseball. So I just want to point that out. Yeah. And they don't feel pain either. That's why no one reports it. Right. Everyone thinks. Now, and here's the last thing I want to say about this issue of when you were mentioning, and you're absolutely right, oh, he went to the big leagues, or Yankee Stadium scared him, or this happened, or that happened. We've got guys that perform well enough to get to that level. Somewhere you have to trust that that guy is still in there. I mean, we say this to pitchers all the time. Hey, your skill doesn't go away. Hey, the pitcher you were yesterday when you threw that perfect game, You're going to be that pitcher in a week. Don't worry about it. It's not so transitory that a a player can be so great one day and then the next day he's not. If he got to that level, you have to somewhere. And this is this is where the work I do, I think, is so I love it because, you know, I believe in these guys. And if a pitcher and I I always talk about good pitchers, when a good pitcher goes bad, you got to look, you got to believe that he's still good. And I want pitchers to know that too. There is always a reason. Just because there's not an arsenal of reasons already set up doesn't mean there's not a reason. The problem is we're dealing with very internal people who've been performing and they're shocked, first of all, when it starts to happen. And secondly, they don't really have anyone to discuss it with. And plus, it's labeled so quickly. It's another reason to hide it. But here's the deal. These guys... You don't just lose it. It's like if you're walking down the street and all of a sudden your knee gives out and you fall and you get up and let's say next day it happens again. This is means something's wrong. You just don't go, oh, no, I'm forgetting how to walk. No, there's a reason why that happens. Players are the same way. So I want everyone to open their minds to that. So have I explained the way the ball comes out of the hand, Joe? Yes. 
Well enough. Okay, great. And as I said, everyone, this is so complicated trying to make it simple. But the main thing is, is for you to know that there's a, that the way the fingers and hand work, it's very specific. The force on the ball has to be specific to handle what's coming at the pitcher as he's going forward. And the each knuckle and the way the ball rolls up the hand, that's critical to the fingertips being able to do what they do. Now, the other thing I briefly mentioned is that in muscle physiology, you know, muscles have many ways they act. I mean, they contract, there's certain types of contractions. It's very complicated. That's why I always say an athlete's only as good as a strength coach. If you don't understand the types of contractions that are going on, if a muscle is contracting in a certain direction or if it's contracting or acting when it's on length, when it's shortened. This is all this complicated stuff that when you study physiology of muscles, you have to learn. I don't expect you to know it, but when you know it and you design exercises, they have to contain the types of sort of actions that muscles go through. And actions is a better way to to term what muscles do. They have different actions and based on the type of way they're shortening or lengthening. So you have to come up with exercises that actually duplicate those kinds of motions and they can help you in this phase diagnose if a pitcher or a player has trouble doing any of these things because he shouldn't have trouble doing it, but they're also strengthening exercises. The fingers are going through a type of contraction reaction cycle in throwing that they don't really go through in any other way in life. So if you've got a kid who's been doing this since he was six, yes, when he's in his 20s, he may have something overstretched. It could be a muscle. It could be a tendon. It could be a ligament but it's using it repetitively in an unusual way. So what we want to do is we want to always have this be a part of normal training. And we also want to use it to rehab someone who's having this problem, if it's rehabable, if it's not something that requires surgery. And we also want to use it to play around with with our pitchers that are starting to show or anyone who's showing that weird thing, like all of a sudden they can't throw 45 feet. And, you know, the guys that I've run into with that, they're the interesting ones. They say, yeah, I don't know. All of a sudden, I can't throw short distance. Can I just start back at 60 feet? And I'm like, no, I want to see what you do because it's going to tell me something. And that thing that's wrong may not be showing up when he's 60 at 60 feet, but trust me, it will. The body talks to you in little whispers. You have to listen to it. So that's the first thing. Secondly, You want to really look at these guys that are having this trouble and you want to kind of experiment. So one of the things that I did, and believe me, all these things that I did, I didn't have a rule book. And this is the gift of me not having been a pitcher and being a sports scientist that really has learned everything from the foundation is in science, but then being around pitchers for all these years and just connecting dots. So what I did, and this was the most telling thing, is on every guy that came to me with this problem, I would have them start to play catch, and the pitch grip that I would ask them to use is a change-up grip. And I would have them use the type of grip where you push the ball in your hand and your fingers are over it, like my younger pitchers would call it a palm ball. 
Uh, when I have looked it up, I think it's called a choke change, but it's where the the ball is way back into the hand. It's being stabilized by the fingers in a different way. In other words, he's got more fingers on the ball stabilizing it. He's not just requiring the two fingers that you use in a four seam to do all the work. And the thumb is in a very nice position to be able to stabilize. And remember I said, in a four-seam grip, when the ball is rolling up to the tips, think of the ball rolling. And, you know, everybody needs a baseball in their hand. And yet yesterday I had a ball in my hand all day doing certain things. When you roll the ball from the palm up to the tips, use your left hand to roll it up you know, just sit there and do it, you will, of course, see the thumb leaves it first because it's the shortest finger and it's right underneath. When you take the ball into the palm and you grab it this way, you've got everything kind of securing it. So if he's got a weakness in one of the ligaments or tendons, he'll throw a change up just perfectly. And the way I healed some of my pitchers who by this time were so freaked out that they were scared to throw. And you see, that's why this is diagnosed as mental. You can see it on their face. They're so scared to throw that then they can't even, it's like somebody who's scared to jump, they're not going to jump correctly. Someone who's scared to run, they're not going to be able to lift their legs. Someone who's scared to throw, that these are mechanisms inside, but the etiology is not emotional. But by giving them this grip so that I could examine if there was one failure, one finger failing out of five, now we've got five fingers working on the way they're holding the ball and they would throw beautifully. And so to relax them, I would send them home and they would play catch, but they only could use that grip. Then they came back and then we were able to start working because I had relaxed his brain. So you have to work delicately once someone's already over the edge. Okay, so using a change up grip is a great way or whatever you think. So I'm wanting, you know, I love giving you guys ideas. I know all you coaches out there are geniuses on your own right. Use these ideas to figure out if you see any difference, you know, do whatever it is you think is happening and see challenge that difference. And that's the way that I was able to work effectively initially with all the pitchers that I, the, other than the guy who had surgery and then the guy who wasn't gripping the ball hard enough, that's why it was going high. The guys that were throwing down into the ground, the, that's the most serious. The injury there is, is there's probably a serious injury there or an injury starting. So that's one method that everyone should try. And if you're also having trouble with hitting, you've got to take a look if they're keeping their fingers engaged. In fact, you know, everyone who has my warm-up program, this is why I recommend bands with a handle and not a wrist because the fingers, and you know, I always talk about it, that the muscles insert on the inside of the elbow, but those fingers have to be involved. And when I see people in the gym, pitchers in the gym training, and they're gripping onto the bar, and I'll see the middle fingers start to get loose as they're pushing, and it's their habit, then I know I have someone who is not keeping a level grip even on the ball, possibly, and they're the guys that whose movement 
too far to the right, too far to the left. When you see movement patterns on a pitch that are too far to the right, too far to the left, you also want to look at the pressure of those two fingers because you know that if you don't have the right pressure for that type pitch, you're going to get movement in a direction that you don't want. So this whole thing of watching performance and looking at the hand and thinking about the fingers it not only is the key to having a good pitcher be even more successful or to have that spin rate that you want, but it's also the key to looking at errors and then severe disorders where the throw can't even happen. Is that not the coolest information ever, Joe, <laughs> with science providing all this information about the finger pressure, et cetera? Is that not awesome to be able to connect those dots like that? Yeah, it's that's pretty cool. That's something that obviously I never would have thought about, and probably most people wouldn't either. Yeah, I, I just uh, it's uh, it's so exciting for me because the chances of even one player being helped by this or one pitcher is so so awesome. So anyway, what I was thinking is I want to talk about uh, the solutions here or some exercises that you can play around with to diagnose and also strengthen and also as prevention. So again, if you have my elbow book, which by the way, Joe will be mentioning at the end, I'm putting that thing on sale again, because I want you to, so many people purchase it. For those of you that uh, haven't, the exercises in it are great. So one of the exercises that's in the book, and it's on page 69, is the weighted ball wrist exercise. This exercise actually uh, works with the, this is the only way I use weighted balls, and it's actually an exercise where you actually hold a four-seam grip, your arms out in front of you, you're supporting it, and it's actually uh, releasing the ball. You know, I just thought of something. I think we'll have, maybe Wendell should put those um pictures up in the, the on YouTube. What do you think? Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll put, we'll, so we'll put that up on YouTube so you can see it, but the, uh, the instructions and everything will be in the book. And so I suggest you get the book. That'd be great. The other, uh, exercise that's in the book is the rice bucket, which is critical. Everyone it's on page 66, which is critical for, you know, working all the intrinsic muscles, meaning the muscles that are just in the hand. And those are two general exercises, which by the way, if you're doing a weighted ball wrist exercise and you can't perform it correctly, and that's a way for a coach to really stand and see the way the fingers are working, that exercise will be difficult for you. So start with a regular weight ball. And I'll, I am going to make sure that that exercise with the instruction goes up on YouTube and also the rice bucket. Now, the other two exercises that I want you to play with. So you have to have a, a baseball, of course, for this. So one of the extra, because of the fact that the muscles work in an unusual way, you have to think of exercises that are going to help those muscles be able to perform or get better when they're being getting fatigued from the kind of unusual contractions that they go through. So the one of the things I love to have my pitchers do is to just take a ball in their hand and they can take any grip they want. And uh, they're just holding the ball the way a normal person might pick up a ball. It might look like the whole hand is spread over the ball and just have your hand be just out in front of you and start it, drop the ball out of your hand and then catch it with the hand. So you're doing everything on top of the ball. So you're sure so you're dropping it and catching it. So it doesn't travel. Let me see. 
it traveled about two inches off my hand. I just did it. Constantly catching it and throwing it back. That way you're getting that kind of reactive kind of contraction that you get. That's one exercise that's great for pitchers. The other thing, and anybody who throws a ball, the other exercise that I love is putting the ball up in front of you. You know how the ball's way out in front of you when you release it. Bring it right in front of you. So like I'm holding it right now and it's it's probably at my ear level or my forehead level. It's out in front of my face, but uh, to the right, I'm a righty. And it's so it's about, oh, at forehead level and it's the hands right in front. I take my left hand and I put it right in front of it. And then I just throw the ball into my left hand. So I'm just getting some quick work back. I throw it in the left hand, give my right hand the ball back, throw it. And so I'm throwing it, catching it, giving the ball back, throwing it, catching it, give the ball back. So you're just right out in front of you, throwing the ball back and forth. That's a great way to get all the fingers to start working again. And again, they're having to have a quick response to things. And so it starts to match what happens. And you also have to exert a certain amount of force on the ball to keep it from falling out of your hand. And the first exercise, the ball's facing downward. So I have to grip it with a certain amount of force so that it I don't drop it. When it's it rolled up into my fingertips, which is where I'm holding it when I'm doing the little throwing drill right out in front, I have to hold it in a certain way so it doesn't roll downward. So what you're getting is a different sense of how much force you need. This force on the ball is critical to keeping the fingers healthy. Whenever you're using your muscles correctly, and by the way, Joe, just so you know, because you had a torn ligament, the muscles of your fingers started to fatigue to a point to where they couldn't protect the ligament. So when you have that situation going on, you have the danger to the ligament. It's just like when I talk about the forearm, when the forearm gets tired, it can't protect the ligaments of the elbow. So when we're doing these exercises, we're developing a kind of power endurance in the muscles of the fingers and the hand. And it's why I wrote a whole book on, you know, my book, the elbow book is from the elbow downward to the fingertips. I didn't even deal with the shoulder because this is such a neglected part of the body. But having the muscles be healthy is your number one prevention. And it's the number one thing you want to do to try to figure out if a player can actually heal himself. And of course, for you teams that have doctors and physical therapists and trainers, they can assist with their diagnosis of this. But anyway, so those are four things you can do to keep the um, fingers and the hand healthy and also start to strengthen. And also any of these exercises, if a if a player has something physical going on, he's going to have trouble doing these exercises. And it's the simplest way to find out what's happening. And also if he does them and then he gets a good response, then you know that some muscle has completely lost its signaling and it's not working at all because it's kind of been disrupted and it can, and the hope of getting it restored is what you would want to do to return him to his performance level. So anyway, that's my uh, whole thing on the yip. So Joe, have I convinced you that it's not mental? I am a 100% certain that at least my issue was not mental, but it, it does sound like that it starts out as a physical thing and it could manifest itself into something that is also psychological because absolutely because you feel like you can't do something. Once you lose confidence in, in doing anything, it, it's going to be 
you know, difficult to overcome that. Yes. So, it, you know, th there may be a point where the psychology is, is an issue, but it starts as a physical thing. I it, exactly. It gets too far. And it's because of the reasons I said, remember, whenever you have a tremendous stress disorder, it's going to manifest itself in the body first. And whenever we're thinking about movement or afraid to do a movement, it affects the motor control center, which is responsible for making a movement automatic. So you take the physical not getting help, not acknowledging that it's physical thinking, it's emotional. The stress gets duplicated. Now you've got two issues to deal with. That's why I love finding a way that the pitcher can throw normally and also the education. You know, when pitchers come to me freaked out about anything with their pitching, they're totally relaxed by the time they leave because I turn the pitching motion into something concrete and they understand, oh, I'm, I'm roll, I'm on the side of the ball. That's why I'm missing. Or, oh no, they see it on film and they go, oh my, and they're so happy. But when they walked in, they were like, something's wrong and I don't know what. And they're always thinking, okay, the day has come. I'm losing it. I'm losing my skill. And I say, no, you're not going to lose your skill. Your skill's supposed to get better as you do it more. So giving education and answers and hope is the number one thing that we have to do with all of our guys when they are starting to have a problem. So being able to recognize it and listen, the body tells you right away when you have something wrong. I mean, who throws a ball straight down into the ground when their intent is to throw it straight ahead. I mean, that in of itself, when you think of it that way, you're like, geez, of course something's wrong. A person doesn't just do that. And remember, the first time anything happens, it's not mental at that point. It's what? And they're looking in surprise. It's after about five or 10 throws, they start going, oh no. And especially when they have to hide it. So anyway, so I hope that I've done something to help save or give direction to pitchers that suffer from this or coaches who have players who are having a problem uh, with this. And listen, anybody who needs to call me for any clarity on anything I've mentioned in this podcast, please do it. Is As I said, this topic is very near and dear to my heart. Saving dreams, saving careers, it's what it's all about. Right. And and I just want to reiterate something that you, you said earlier that maybe people didn't hear because they were distracted for one reason or another. You said that you don't just one day wake up and you, you forgot how to walk. If you, if you, if you stumble or something, you'd never think, Oh, I, I have something mental going on. I forgot how to walk. You, the first thing you do is find out what's wrong with your leg, your ankle, your foot or whatever it is. And I just want to, I just want to bring that up again as, as kind of a, you know, kind of a reference point because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to when Chuck Noblock was having trouble throwing the baseball to first base. And it was almost immediate. It was like, oh, he has Steve Sachs syndrome. Like all of a sudden, Chuck Noblock has been throwing the ball to first base for, you know, 25 years. And just one day he wakes up and he doesn't know how to do it. It just, there's something that uh, just doesn't fly there. So thank you again, Angel, for breaking this down, explaining it and providing solutions. And I, I really do hope that this helps out at least one person out there. Yes. So, Joe, I was just looking at the time. Uh, do you feel like uh, we've uh, burned out the listeners and we want to hold off to Pearl <laughs> till the next time? Maybe we should. We're already over an hour. and uh, Yes. So this was, well, let's look at it this way. Here's the Pearl. The Pearl is unwrapping and unleashing a new way to look at the yips. So the Pearl is the yips. There you go. A new way. Here we go. I like it.
All mm-hmm. right. There and you thank go. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, please feel free to contact me, particularly if you have a player or a pitcher and you need some guidance. Nothing would please me more. And thank you again. And I want to uh, mention, uh, Angel mentioned that she is going to put the elbow book on sale again just for listeners. So if you are listening this far and you do not yet have Angel's elbow book, you have been rewarded for listening this far. (laughs) She is putting it on sale. It's usually $67. It's going down to $47. And you just need to put the word elbow into the uh, coupon code. It's coupon code, discount code. uh, Yeah, I think it says coupon code and it probably it's going to be all in caps, just like the rotation book, which is still on sale. Thank you, everyone, for uh, we've had a lot of good sales. I love knowing this information is getting into the hands of everyone. So I'm, I'm happy about that. But the word elbow for the elbow book in the code in all caps and, and for the rotation book, which is still on sale, rotation, all in caps will get you that discount as well. Right. They're both downloadable, so you can have them in your hands in minutes. Yeah, and I, I just want to say it, you, you don't need to have the yips. You don't need to have had Tommy John surgery. If you do not own the elbow book and you are either a pitcher, a parent of a pitcher, or you coach pitchers, this is the one thing, probably the single most effective thing that you can do to avoid Tommy John surgery is to purchase this book and read it and do the exercises. I I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing book. And I hear all the time that, Oh, you can strengthen the shoulder, but you can't strengthen the elbow. Everybody knows that you can't strengthen the elbow, but actually you can. And this book proves it. And honestly, for $47 uh, insurance against Tommy John surgery, a pretty low risk investment there. So please go to Angel's website, gymscience.com. And that's Jim as in G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. Go find the the products, find the elbow book, the rotation book, put in elbow for the, for the code and you get $20 off, put in rotation for the rotation book. You get $20 off. We have all the uh, details in the show notes. I forgot one important thing, everyone. I hope you're all still listening. We just put on Angel Borelli Pitching, the YouTube channel, and also it's in the notes. I just put up an introduction, sort of a, well, I wanted you to be able to see the elbow book. And so it's in a really cool video, just shows the book, has some pages you can see, and it's got very cool music. And it's a way for you to see what you would be buying. So go to Angel Borelli Pitching to uh, see the promo on the strength training, the baseball pitching arm, and you'll enjoy it, I'm sure. So you'll see what you uh, would be buying. Great, that's, uh, yeah, if, you're, if you aren't already convinced, by me, the sales pitch man, uh, <laughs> go check out the video. I wish I had said this sooner because uh, I want everyone to hear it. But anyway, because the video is great. So anyway, thank you, Joan. Thank you to, for everyone for listening through this difficult topic of uh, trying to explain. The yips. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be back again in about two weeks. And until next time, we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.